time of great victory. Your past does not have to dictate your future. We are on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. God's got something better for you. How many of you would like to learn something you've never heard before in the Bible? How many of you will admit like me that you don't know everything there is to know about the Bible? Well, I'm going to stretch you today. All right, and Pastor Paul, I know you're listening. I'm honored to be here. I told him yesterday I'm under his authority. I'm a man who believes in biblical authority. I've submitted myself to his authority, and if I say or do anything that he disagrees with, you go with him because he's your spiritual authority, all right? I'm under his authority, and I take that mantle very seriously. So I want you to pray with me right now. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd open up our heart and our spirit to be encouraged today and to learn something about the narrative of the life of Jesus that we've never heard before that will change our life. Not just something that sounds good and feels good, but something that will supernaturally transform us in understanding why Jesus Christ has called us to be who we are and do what we do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Now, if you don't talk to me when I preach, I've been known to preach three hours, okay? So you got to talk to me. I'm just teasing, not quite, but almost. Listen, I'm not going to make you stand. You already stood, but I want you to look at uh, Matthew chapter number 4. And I'm going to read out of the New International Version. I don't normally do that, but I like the way this reads. Matthew chapter 4, and then I'm going to read Mark chapter 2, verse 14. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. If I had a title for this message today, it would be two words that changed history. With two words, Jesus changed the narrative of how Judaism was conducted and how all of the followers of God would be called and how the ministry would be conducted. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Everybody say, follow me. Those two words changed the narrative of the ministry of the kingdom of God forever. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So at once they left their nets and followed him, going on from there. And he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called, and immediately they left the boat. Now it's assumed here he said, follow me. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Now in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Everybody say, follow me. That's yours, brother. I want to sow that into you, all right? Follow me. Say, follow me. Now when I read the Bible, I've had this very unusual problem since I went to Bible college at 18 years old, and that is this. I don't just swallow what someone feeds me and just believe it is truth. I've always questioned, and I always wanted to know exactly what God's Word says. I'm not a Baptist preacher. I'm not an Assembly of God preacher. I'm a Bible preacher. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't understand clearly because we don't understand the cultural context. As a matter of fact, if you don't understand Hebrew culture you can't really understand Jesus. You can't understand where, because Jesus is a rabbi. 
And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. So when I read about five grown men meeting a man that they may have heard about but they've not met, and they're willing to leave their successful businesses and go on a journey with him for three. Can you imagine Jesus comes up to the Sea of Galilee, which is a big lake. It's about 11 miles wide. And Jesus calls out to these fishermen. I think they've heard about Jesus, but haven't met Jesus. And they, he calls out to them and says, follow me. And immediately they take a very successful fishing business and walk away from it. Now, we know later that Peter never did shut down his business because after the death of Jesus and the burial and the resurrection, he went back and gathered his business again. As a matter of fact, Peter was not some poor, broke little fisherman. Peter and Andrew and also James, John, and their father, they had a monopoly on the fishing business in that region. They were very wealthy people. But Jesus came to them and said, follow me. What would cause five grown men, four fishermen, and then a tax collector. And by the way, he ended up saying that to 12 men, and he was 100% because 12 men, 100%, when he said, follow me, left their business and followed this man. Now, I don't know about you. I'd like to have been a fly on the wall that evening when Peter went home and told Mrs. Peter, I'm going to leave the fishing industry, and I'm going to go follow this rabbi. How many of you know she told little Peter, go call the doctor and tell him to bring a white jacket and put it on your father. He's lost his mind, right? I mean, if your husband came home tonight and said, you know what, I heard this crazy preacher down here at Light Christian Fellowship, and he said for me to come go on the road with him and follow him, so I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to leave you and the kids for a while, and I'm going to go follow this guy. How many of you know that you would think he's lost his mind? Right? Somehow we just pass by that when we read about Jesus calling out these 12 guys, and they leave everything to go follow him. Why would they do that? All 12 of them, why would they do that? Well, here's why. Because in the Hebrew culture, the greatest thing you could ever be, the most successful, the most prominent, the most wealthy, the most influential thing you could ever be in the Hebrew culture is a rabbi. We, we think about the most successful people in America. And I don't know about you, but I'm a sports fan. I grew up loving baseball and basketball and football. And so, you know, if you have a son and he's athletic, you know, and maybe basketball is his game, we absolutely would look right now at LeBron James and think, boy, if my son could just be the next LeBron. And there's no doubt that LeBron's parents thought if he could just be the next Kobe and Kobe's parents thought if he could just be the next Michael Jordan. And by the way, Michael Jordan is far by far the greatest basketball player that ever played. I don't – listen – no doubt, he, he, LeBron's all right, but he can't stand in Michael. I'm not even a Bulls fan. I'm a Laker fan, all right, so don't hate me. But I'm just telling you, and we just got LeBron. How about that? But you've got a child that is athletic and a child that is, man, can just knock the cover off of a baseball, and you're looking at Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees, and I am a big Yankees fan, by the way. So you're looking at Aaron Judge, and, and this guy is just, he's not even human the way he hits a ball. And, and you think, boy, if my son could just be an Aaron Judge. You know, or if my son could just be a LeBron James or, uh, you know, I, I don't keep up with female sports that much, so I don't mean to leave you ladies out, but, but if my daughter could just be the next uh, Whitney Houston in the entertainment industry, you know, the greatest female singer of our lifetime. Think about that. We think about those kinds of success. Well, in the Hebrew culture, you would want your son to be a rabbi because that meant he would be one of the wealthiest, most prominent people the most successful, influential people in all of Israel. 
And so how did they find rabbis in that day? The local rabbis in the little villages would bring the children in at six years of age and test them. Now, the girls didn't go to school, only the boys. Now, watch this. From his earliest childhood, the moment he learned to talk, the moment he learned to listen, he would sit on his father's knee. And every Hebrew boy had to memorize the book of Leviticus by age six. And then he would go be tested by his local rabbi at the synagogue. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? Do you know how hard it is just to read the book of Leviticus? And this, this preschooler has got to memorize the book of Leviticus. And he doesn't have a copy of the Torah in his house, and the only way he can memorize it is from what his father can remember from when he was a six-year-old himself. Now, only the best and the brightest children, the only best and brightest boys, were selected then to go to school in what was called the Beit Safar. That's the school of the book or the Torah school. So if you were six and you were not the best, brightest boy, and you didn't get chosen to go to school, then you went and took up your father's business. It could have been fishing. It could have been tax collecting. Whatever your father did, that's what you would do. And only the best and brightest boys went to school at age six. Now watch this. From age six to age 12, they were taught the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. From six to 12, not only did they have to memorize those five books of the Old Testament, but they had then to learn things about God that would stretch them. Now watch this. At age 12, every boy would be carried to Jerusalem from his elementary school, if you will, the school of the book. He would be carried to Jerusalem at age 12 to the temple where the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees would test the 12-year-old boy to find out if he was intellectually successful enough or had the intellectual acumen to actually become one of the brightest minds of all of Israel because all the rabbis were considered to be the most brilliant people in all the land. Now, where did Jesus go when he was 12 years old? Mary and Joseph took him where? Talk to me. Where did he go? They so that tells us Jesus was chosen at age 6 to go to school in Nazareth. At age 12, he's carried to the temple, and he's being interviewed by the, the, the Pharisees there. Now, watch this. Somehow, you have the narrative in your mind that in the hustle and bustle of all the people being in Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days. The Bible said in the book of Luke that he stayed there for three days. Now, listen, let me ask you a question. Do you think God would entrust his son to people who couldn't keep up with him for three days? Jesus is at the temple for three days because the guys testing him are astounded. Watch this. Because the way they tested a 12-year-old boy to see if he qualified was like the game of Jeopardy in the U.S. How many of you have ever watched Jeopardy? I'm not smart enough to watch Jeopardy. I'm just, I, need a, I need to take a nap after one episode. Right? What does Alex Trebek do? Alex Trebek gives a topic, and they provide the question. That's the way the Pharisees would interview the 12-year-old the boys. They, they would provide a topic about God, and then the boys had to provide questions about God, and the Pharisees would only choose those boys who had thought of things about God that they had never thought of. Because they are looking. Now watch this. The Pharisee and, and the rabbis there, they're looking for a young man who can take what they know and expound on it 
and do greater works than they did. Jesus is there for three days, not because they've run out of characteristics of God. Jesus is there for three days because when they ran out of answers, he had not run out of questions. He blew their mind. Now, if you go and you study Hebrew history, you'll find that Jesus was chosen to be the disciple at age 12 of a man named Hillel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the reason you don't read about Jesus in the Bible from age 12 to 30 is not because he was in the carpenter shop with Joseph learning how to build cabinets. It was because he was in rabbinical school under a man named Hillel becoming a rabbi. Again, by what authority? When you read the Bible, ask questions. Have you not ever wondered how Jesus walked into a synagogue in Capernaum, picked up a scroll and read Isaiah and preached a sermon? Do you know that a carpenter did not have the authority to do that? Has that never crossed your mind? I'm, I'm just saying, think about it. He had to have authority to walk into the synagogue and pick up a scroll. They didn't just have a testimony service say, hey, Joseph's boy, come on over here and talk to us today. No, by the authority of the fact that he was a rabbi, he went into the synagogue, picked up the scroll of Isaiah, and preached a sermon and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And they wanted to kill him for it. No, Jesus was chosen by Hillel to be his disciple. And from 12 to 30, he was being discipled by a man named Hillel, except for the fact that Hillel died when Jesus was 18. And then he was taught by a man named Shammai. Jesus goes to, to rabbinical. This would be considered high school, college, graduate school, and at age 30 he receives his Ph.D. in our culture. He spends all of those years. I, think about that. He spends all of those years, 18 years, in higher learning of the Torah and the ways of God. Hillel, watch this, was a very special rabbi. He was the leading rabbi in all of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you go with me to Israel, you can go into libraries and historical places, and his name is everywhere. And when I went in 2017, I've been many times, but I had, I had a tour guide who began to talk to me about Yeshua. Now, this is a Jewish man that doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but he does believe Jesus was a rabbi, and he said, you're only the second Christian pastor I've ever met in all of my years of guiding that knew that Jesus was a rabbi. He said, you Christians don't understand that Jesus was a rabbi. Watch this. Hillel died when Jesus was 18. Hillel was a very special rabbi because he had a status that only came around about every 100 years. This status is called smika. In Hebrew, that word smika means authority. Okay? If you had smika, you could interpret the Torah to the people. The first five books of the Old Testament, you could interpret the law. If you didn't have smika, the only thing you could teach is what you'd been taught by your rabbi. Hillel was the only rabbi alive at Jesus' time had had Smeka. He died when Jesus is 18. So for 12 years, the nation of Israel is only hearing what they've heard all their life. And what was it? It was legalism and bondage, and it put them in fear of God. They had no way of knowing the Father. Jesus came as a rabbi because he came to show the people that they had a father, not a tyrant in heaven trying to condemn and judge them. So watch this. Thank you. Watch this. So when Jesus is 30, he graduates. And what do you do when you graduate as a rabbi? 
you be, you're baptized. You're immersed. That's your ordination. As a matter of fact, I won't get into this, but he, baptism is not a Christian thing. It's a Jewish thing. The Jews immersed themselves in water every time they went up on the temple for a feast. And they immersed themselves continually. John the Baptist, his name is Yochanan Grace, the immerser. When he was out among the Essenes studying God and being alone with God, he immersed himself three times a day at the three hours of prayer. Jesus is graduating now from rabbinical school at 30. He is going to be immersed and ordained as a rabbi. But watch this. Now, stay with me because I'm going to go through this quickly. I have to. But Jesus does not go to the southern end of the temple, to the mikvah, that is the, the baptismal tanks. They had all, you go to Israel on the southern end of the temple, they're still there. Big, huge cisterns cut out in the stone that would fill with water, and that's where they would immerse. Jesus didn't go there and allow Shammai to immerse him. Jesus went out into the wilderness to Gilgal, and he let who baptize him? Why? Have you ever wondered why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because the Pharisees in Jesus' time were not authorized by God to be the Levitical priests. They weren't Levites at all. The Pharisees were rich people who stole the priesthood from the Levites and from God between Malachi and Matthew. Go look me up in history. These were rich aristocrats who went into political uh, into the political relationships with Rome and helped the Roman government overthrow the Israeli government. These people were wealthy, controlling people through religion because they were rich and bought the priesthood. That's why Jesus went in the temple the last week before he died and overturned the tables and let go of all the animals and took a whip and had a fit. And he said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Right there he told all of Israel, these men are not legitimate. They've stolen the house of God. That's what he did. They followed him out of the temple angry and said, by what authority do you do this? What did he say? John's baptism. They couldn't touch him because what happened at John's baptism? He was baptized by John, who was in bloodline the legitimate high priest of Israel. John was the legitimate high priest of Israel. His father, Zechariah, you remember when, when Elizabeth was pregnant? And God shut Zechariah's mouth and wouldn't let him speak till the baby was born. Why? Because if he had named him Zechariah, which was the tradition, John would have had to be a Levitical priest. But because he couldn't name him, but the Father in heaven named him, he named him Yochanan the Immerser. He named him Grace. That word means grace. We have had a system of law, but now there's a system of grace. So when you read about John being the forerunner of Jesus, John's not the forerunner of the Messiah. John is the forerunner of the end of the law and the beginning of grace. And so Jesus goes to the legitimate Levitical high priest by bloodline, John, because he's the only one who has the authority to baptize him. And the Pharisees are standing up there on the mountain watching, and Jesus is immersed. And when he comes up out of the water, what happens? Two miracles. A voice from heaven, this is my son. And the Holy Spirit comes as a dove. That gave Jesus smika. Two miracles at your baptism 
is what was required to have smicha, meaning Jesus now is the only rabbi alive who has the authority to interpret the Bible to the people. That's why they followed him. That's why they followed. They didn't follow Jesus because he could take a happy meal and multiply it and feed 5,000 people. Do you know that other rabbis during that day could perform miracles? They did. Miracles were not uncommon. But Jesus was telling them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. They didn't know they had a Father in heaven. They thought they had a mean God who was going to send everybody to hell. Jesus becomes in his immersion, and watch this, not only a rabbi with speaker, but Jesus becomes the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Right there. Jesus ended the Levitical priesthood right at that moment and began the Melchizedek priesthood of which you are. So listen to me. Don't minimize water baptism because the moment you're immersed in water, you are being ordained as a king and priest in the kingdom of God. How do we know that Jesus was the high priest? How do we know that Caiaphas and before that his father-in-law Annas were not the high priests? You remember when they were testing and trying Jesus and they said, are you the son of God? And he looked at them and he said, you have said. And what did Caiaphas do? He grabbed that high priestly garment and he tore it, which means in the Bible he would have been killed by God instantly for defiling that garment when he tore it but he didn't die. Why? Because he was not the high priest. There's testimony and evidence later that before Caiaphas actually died, he actually confessed Jesus as the Messiah and was born again after the crucifixion and the resurrection. Listen to me. Now watch this. Jesus is immersed, becomes a high priest, becomes a rabbi with Smeka. How do we know that? Don't you know they would have killed him if they could have? They would, they would have never allowed him to minister three and a half years. How do we know that Jesus is the legitimate high priest? How do we know he's a rabbi with Smeka? We, we just look at the word. You remember when they caught that woman in the act of adultery? Now, my question was, how'd they know where to find her? Come on now, talk to me. We're just, we're just ordinary people. How'd these guys know where to find her at? My next question is, is where's the man? Last time I checked, it took two to commit adultery. We don't know anything about the man, right? Now, the Bible says they caught her in the very act. Where did they bring her? Who'd they bring her to? Why'd they bring her to Jesus? Because he's the only rabbi alive qualified to stone her to death. They would have stoned her if they could, but they don't have smika. Don't you remember the people following him said, you speak as a rabbi having authority, having smika. They brought her to Jesus. Now, according to the Mishnah, which is an ancient writing document, a written document of ancient rabbis, according to the Mishnah, if they found her in the act of adultery, they would have stripped her naked if she wasn't already. They would have beat her with rods. They would have brought her to the leading rabbi, and they threw her down at his feet, beaten bloodied, and naked. And they look at Jesus, and they said, the Torah says she ought to be stoned to death. 
You're the rabbi with Smeka. You're the big guy, okay? You're the guy that interprets the Bible. So tell me something, Rabbi Jesus. What do you say about stoning her? Because, see, he's been preaching a message of love and grace and forgiveness. Jesus, now watch this. You got to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. Don't just think of what you've been told all your life. Jesus is down riding in the dirt when they bring her, and they throw her down right there. What is Jesus riding in the dirt? Jesus, I believe, and it's in my book, is writing Jeremiah 17, 13. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, And their names shall be written in the earth, all who reject the fountain of living water, the gift from God. Their names shall be written in the earth. I'm paraphrasing. All those who reject the fountain of living water, the gift from God. Jesus is writing Jeremiah 17, 13, and those Pharisees are looking at it. Jesus looks up. Now, your Bible said he stood up, but in the Greek he didn't. He just, he just looked up. And he said, my interpretation of the Torah when you called her an act of adultery is this. Let he who is without, and the Bible says the same sin, pick up the first stone. But remember, guys, now this isn't in there, but this is no doubt where they went in their mind. Remember, he just told them in the Sermon on the Mount, but you guys need to know this. If you've ever looked at a woman and lusted after her, you've committed adultery. So if you've never lusted after a woman, here's my rock. Have at it. Don't you love Jesus? Okay, so if you haven't committed adultery by looking and lusting, here's the stone. And then the Bible says he wrote again. You know what he wrote? Their names. The Bible said from the youngest to the oldest, they turned around and walked away. Because Jesus started writing their name. Why? Because they had rejected the fountain of living water. They had refused him for who he was. And he wrote their names in the earth, and their eternal destiny was sealed. Then Jesus stands up, and he looks at this woman. And he says, where are your accusers? Because the Torah says, I can't stone you without two witnesses. She said, well, I don't have any. They're gone. So Jesus said, well, I can't stone you because I am a rabbi and I'm going to keep the law. So go your way and sin no more. Don't you love Jesus? See, Jesus never uses the word of God to condemn. I find nowhere in the Bible that Jesus ever condemned anyone for their sin except the Pharisees. He hates religion, and I do too. Now, I'm going to bring this plane in for a landing, and I'm going to pray for you. I could talk all day long. i got a whole book's worth of stuff here to talk about. Why did Peter and James and Andrew and John and Matthew and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and right on down the list, why did they leave everything and follow Jesus? Watch this. Because when Jesus was ordained as a rabbi with Smeka, the high priest, Every, every priest, every rabbi would then go back to the temple. I'm now a legitimate rabbi. And what would he do? He would interview 12-year-old boys and choose his disciples. Jesus did not go back to the temple. Jesus went to Galilee. And he walked up on the Sea of Galilee. He would have been wearing a very special prayer shawl. 
He would have been wearing a prayer shawl that had not been seen since Hillel died. It was a symbol of Smeka. And even if they did not know who he was, when they saw that prayer shawl, they knew who he was. He is the most powerful rabbi in all of Israel. And Jesus cries out to a bunch of fishermen. And you're not seeing it yet. He cries out to some boys that were told when they were six years old, you're not good enough. He cried out to some boys that were told at 12 years old, you're too dumb. He cried out to some people that the religious system said, you have no place here. But Jesus chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Jesus chose people that nobody else wanted. Jesus never disqualifies anybody from being his disciple. It doesn't make any difference where you've been, what you've gone through, how bad you've blown it. It doesn't make any difference what your past is. Jesus called you to be his disciple. Jesus called you to come out from the world and follow him. Can somebody give Jesus some praise in this place today? Hey, this is Pastor Paul Golden. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe, rate it, and review. Also, you can help us to reach others by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you for joining us on LCC's podcast. God bless you and have a great day.